Hello again, everybody. This is Vincent De Pasquale with the A Different Take podcast. Thank you very much to everyone who listened to my first podcast last week, which was right before Super Bowl 58. I'm coming to you now with some analysis and some recap of that game and looking at some of the different aspects of the game and hopefully get a different take about what happened. And then I'll also go into some news and notes about the NFL offseason as it progresses from the Super Bowl into the draft and free agency and all the signings and everything else that's got to be happening in the offseason. But first things first, the big game, Super Bowl 58. What a game it was. Uh, A little bit underwhelming to start. It was a bit of a lower scoring game than I imagined it would be, at least from the onset. But I have to say, in terms of the odds, Vegas got this one right. 47.5 for the over-under. And talk about the line of 2.5. Wow, that is very impressive. I mean, Las Vegas oddmakers really nailed this game. Again, this isn't a betting show or a gambling show. Not like that, but talk about the overall numbers to start. Very, very impressive. Anyway, as we get into the nitty-gritty of the game, uh, a little bit underwhelming at the start. Very low scoring, as we know, was 0-0 at the end of the first quarter. And a little bit sluggish on both sides offensively. It was riddled with some turnovers. Both Christian McCaffrey and Isaiah Pacheco fumbled on drives in the first quarter. Not much offense by Kansas City at all. And really, Brock Purdy really came to play. And I think it's about time that the game manager moniker is lifted from Brock Purdy. Look, he's not Patrick Mahomes. He's not Lamar Jackson. He's not... Joe Burrow. He's not any of those guys. But let's face it, he can play and he can take a team down the field and he can lead a team. I think he's got those qualities to be a really good NFL quarterback. And the fact that 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 Brock Purdy and the 49ers took Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs to overtime is a really big deal, I have to say. We're talking about maybe at when it all is said and done, one of the greatest, if not the greatest quarterback ever in Patrick Mahomes. And I, I think he's got a bright future. The rest of the team, though, has got some some work to do. And, and, and getting out to a 10-point lead again, Kyle Shanahan has got to learn some lessons from this game. And we'll get into that in just a little bit. But I have to say, at the very start of the game, there was no crowd noise. I know it's in Las Vegas, and I know there were lots of celebrities and a lot of other issues going on with the game, but the, the crowd noise is pathetic. It, 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 it's really terrible. I think we play this game in, in the NFL to get the stars there and to get all the, all the different types of people there, but no crowd noise really wasn't a factor at all. Really strange to see in a game. But uh, let's, again, go into some more details. Clearly, the San Francisco lines on offense and defense were dominant in the first half. Kansas City was lucky to be in this game. And again, a 10-point lead, really, really big deal uh, for Kyle Shanahan. This is the fourth time he's blown that kind of a lead in the playoffs and the Super Bowls. Uh, again, Purdy had a good first half and it clearly was not the same in the second half 
the Pacheco fumble in in the first quarter I felt was a big deal and it was a real drive killer. The Sneed penalty at the end of the second quarter I thought was also a really big problem and it led to points. Uh, but but Kansas City was able to hang around in this game and was able to really get that field goal at the end of the first half. However, the end of that first half I thought was really telling because San Francisco could have done a little bit more with their times out at the end of that at, at the end of the half and maybe even had a chance to get back on the field. I thought that they could have taken a little bit uh, a more aggressive approach by getting a timeout in between the uh, in between some of those plays getting up to the to the Harrison Butker field goal. I think it was a really big issue to not do that. But maybe I'm splitting hairs on that one. I, I'm not. I'm not sure about that. However, the the, the, the turning points in the game, I think, were, were more important after halftime. L- getting into the third quarter, Kansas City uh, was, uh, I think, a little bit more balanced in its approach and was trying to keep San Francisco off the field. I counted in, in San Francisco's approach in the third quarter, of all the plays that it ran, they ran the ball three times. And that was with the lead. Three times. I couldn't believe that the San Francisco 49ers have the offensive player of the year in Christian McCaffrey. And they don't try to run out that clock. They went nine plays on the first three drives. One run. That's with the lead. It wasn't long before Kansas City settled in and their defense was able to establish itself a little bit more, get some momentum. It got some big plays from MVS and from Justin Watson. It got it got run they they got runs from Pacheco and they were able to hang around in this game. I think the Dre Greenlaw injury was a big factor for the San Francisco 49ers, not having that uh, that defensive presence. And by the way, I think one of the problems with San Francisco is its durability. Their players can't stay on the field. Christian McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, John Feliciano, George Kittle, these and Dre Greenlaw, these guys all left the game, and, and it's really sad to see that Dre Greenlaw tore his uh, tore his Achilles. He's a leader on that defense, and he'll be missed. And I hope he can get back to playing at at that that high level that we've all we've all come to see and expect from him. I hope he can get back quickly and and make a full recovery. But I, I, it, this was not the same team going into the second half. I, again, I didn't think that either team was going to run away with this game. I didn't think it was that kind of a game at all. But obviously, that punt that was muffed by San Francisco was a very big turning point. And before that, something else that needs to be harped on. When it comes to these games, details matter immensely. They matter so much, and the Jake Moody field, uh, Jake Moody extra point miss was uh, so important. It changed the complexion of the game. The amount of pressure that there is to score a field goal 
under pressure is not the same as scoring a touchdown. And it totally opened the door for Kansas City to settle down and gain a little bit more momentum. Look, Patrick Mahomes uh, is is going to make plays. It's almost it, it is like Michael Jordan. You can only hope to contain him. Uh, I mean, you can you can you can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him. He he makes everyone else around him that much better. The other points that I want to stress: Kelsey, uh, Travis Kelsey running into Coach Reed there in the second quarter. Uh, look, I know they have a great relationship, but that's inexcusable. There's something called camera ready, and there's something called optics. The optics on that are terrible. It, it, and he came out this week and even said that that was inexcusable. It, it was. It wasn't the right thing to do at all. Uh, it, it just wasn't. It. It. it you can't do that. It's a star player. He, his. His presence on the world stage, not just the NFL stage, is magnified. And I, it, it, again, I think he'll learn from that. But. Getting back to the 49ers, I think it was a tactical error by Kyle Shanahan to not run the ball in the third quarter. I don't agree with what all the commentators say all the time. Tony Romo stressed this as well. It was a big mistake to not run that ball. You're trying to keep the best player in the league off the field. How come the offensive player of the year is not getting the ball. And like I said, why are they passing the ball so much with a lead? The idea is to keep them off the field. And even though this is a diminished Kansas City offense, look, there for for whatever anybody wants to say about them, this is not a stellar offensive team. It's just not. It, it's it's a good team and it's got a great combination of a coach and quarterback that's unmatched. But I think that I think that there was Every opportunity there for San Francisco to try to win that game and to and to get rid of that get rid of a Kansas City on the field to really to really stress themselves and really really put their mark forward and try to really put their stamp on the game and go ahead and and try to limit Kansas City's opportunities. Uh, the the second half, uh, like I said, it, it shouldn't have happened. It just shouldn't have happened that way, with all those passes. Uh, as they got uh, closer down the stretch, the kickers were clutch. There's no there's no way around it. They were both clutch. Jake Moody was impressive. Harrison Butker even even nailed a 57 yarder to to uh, get them the lead back and it was impressive both of the both of them came up really really big going into overtime the talk has been all about the decision to take the ball i actually didn't didn't know every detail getting into the game and i i thought when kansas city scored their touchdown to win the game i thought they were going to run out of time i didn't realize that the game just kept going so i think i think the public was a little bit uninformed or misinformed or maybe just didn't realize that the, the rules had changed for overtime. But the, but I, I don't know if there's a, a, a great way to go about making that decision. If the 49ers defer the ball and Kansas City scores a touchdown, do does Kansas City go for two and put that much more pressure on the 49ers? I don't know. 
Or do you take the ball and then hope you score something, a field goal or a touchdown? And if you take it to, and if, let's say the 49ers took the ball and scored a touchdown, do they go for two and put that much more pressure on Mahomes? And what, what if they miss? There are all kinds of guessing games that can happen. I, I, again, I'm not a Kyle Shanahan apologist, and I, I know he's a brilliant offensive mind, but I don't know if there was a great way to go about uh, making a decision there. However, there is no excuse for him and his team not knowing all the rules about overtime. Kansas City, after the game, was bragging about how it had been going over these rules since training camp. And that's the key difference between a team like the 49ers and a team like the Chiefs. It's coaching. Coaching matters. And I'm going to dwell on something for a moment that happened during the week when Steve Wilkes got fired by the 49ers, by Kyle Shanahan. Could it be that when Shanahan called timeout in that overtime, that that was a precursor to him getting fired? Maybe they didn't get along. Maybe they just disagreed or didn't see eye to eye on philosophy. I'm not sure. But it seems awfully interesting in hindsight that the man got fired a few days after the game. That defense was not the problem. The problem was a, a, a lack of execution and, and, and running into a team that's just got a great combination of a quarterback and head coach that is on a Hall of Fame level. I think the 49ers had all the talent in the world. And in seeing it on paper, or at least on the screen, they have four all-pros on offense. It's amazing. And Kansas City had none. They had none. I mean, when you look at it that way, it's really interesting to see how Kansas City keeps winning. It's just amazing. I, I, I just think that there's a, a unique combination there with the, with the Chiefs that is unmistakable. And who knows how much longer that this run can last. I, I do think that it's amazing that it's happened like this. And I, what I do think is that Kansas City really needs to add some more weapons here. Uh, okay, Rasheed Rice is a good player, nice player, and he's evolving. He's a rookie. How long will Travis Kelsey be able to do what he's doing? I mean, he, he's in his mid-30s. How much longer can this happen? Isaiah Pacheco, good player. Not a star player. I, if, it were, if, if I were running a team like this, I, I'd do everything I could to add around it, whether it's in the draft or free agency or trades at a smart level. And something that doesn't get talked a lot about, again, a different take is that Patrick Mahomes is making the most money in the NFL. He's got the highest salary. And when that happens, other things around the team will suffer. Not everyone has the same opportunity to get on a team like Kansas City because of some of those restrictions. I don't know what their cap is, hit is on everybody this year and what kind of space they have. But when you have a player like like Patrick Mahomes making over $50 million a year and making the most money, it's going to affect everybody around that team. And the ability to add players and be able to fortify the team. Look, say, say what... It might be, but the Bengals are going to be stronger. They're going to be healthier coming back next year. The Ravens are still very good. The Browns are good. There are teams that are rising, like the Raiders. I I still have the the Chargers in that division. 
they're not as good as the Chiefs, but the competition will be that much greater. And now the Chiefs have won two in a row, two Super Bowls in a row. And if the pressure was tough last year, wait till this year. Everybody is trying to to uh, keep that three-peat from happening. Hopefully, it can happen for those teams. But you know what? I'm excited for next season. This is going to be one of the most dynamic seasons ever in all of sports. In all my years of being a football fan, I've, I've never heard of the combination of factors that's about to unfold with playing overseas games, the new streaming, the new streaming uh, services that are coming out more and more and more and prevailing more and more in the marketplace for NFL games. The draft is going to be unbelievable in terms of the amount of talent, wide receiver, guards, offensive linemen, tight ends. And then you have free agency and then the bonus, uh, the, the, uh, the, the uh, beginning of the season, which is in March, the, where uh, free agent signings can happen. The confluence of all these factors is going to be unreal and it make for a reshaping of the entire landscape of how football is viewed and how it's played. I can't keep up with all the ki- all the kinds of uh, head coaching changes and the, the the defensive and offensive coordinator carousel changes that are happening. I I can't even keep up with the kinds of and numbers of coaches that are out there in football. It's it's dizzying. I've never heard of this kind of swirling of so many factors at one time so dynamically and I think it's going to reshape and recalibrate the entire landscape of how football is played how it's viewed uh, by the consumer by the fans how it's played in fantasy and just about every aspect of, of football in general and I'm excited for next season because it begins now in terms of fantasy, which uh, of which I mentioned, I will be will be delving more into and spending more time on now that the actual football season is over. I'll get into more and more and more of that as uh, the months progress, as the as the the draft cut gets closer, and all the other uh, calendar events are about to unfold. And by the way, regarding NFL players. I see that there are going to be more games in overseas markets like Brazil next year or this uh, next season. But how about some of this news that came out uh, over the weekend with the NBA, actually, in that there are two stars, at least, that were playing in, in the one of the skill games, Michael Parsons of the Cowboys and Pukunokua of the Rams. They're dunking and playing in All-Star Weekend. Isn't that kind of foolhardy for players of that caliber that mean so much to their teams to be putting themselves at risk like that. I hope that they informed their respective teams of their participation in these games because the game of football is so fragile as it's so easy. It's so easy to hurt, hurt oneself playing football. And then they're out there playing basketball and dunking. I, I look, I'm all for opportunity, but if if those teams are paying their salaries and and signing their checks, I, I think I would do the right thing and make sure I told them, or maybe not even play at all, and really know where my career is and be be really careful with how I go about my my extracurricular activities, and it's really 
again, coming from the old school, I guess, I, I'm, I'm really disappointed in those stars doing that kind of thing. The careers can be over in a minute, and I, I'd hate to see something happen to those kinds of players. They're great and fun to watch, and I hope they're around for years to come. I just hope that they treat their bodies right and do the right things for themselves and their organizations. And and one more thing I wanted to mention about something, I, I guess maybe I should have seen this earlier, but over the weekend, being one of the millions of Netflix subscribers, I came across this documentary on Netflix called, what is it called? It's called The Four Falls of Buffalo. And it's about Buffalo Bills reaching the Super Bowl four times, as we all know, in the 1990s. It was a different time, and I remember those years, but not the games all in so much detail. But it was good to see this documentary and have it crystallize what happened and what happened to the city and the fans and the players. And it brought me to tears with the way it was produced and in a good way because of all the organizations out there, and this is coming from... A, a, a guy who rooted for the Cleveland Browns for more than 30 years and just had had enough with the shenanigans of the organization. I would have loved to have seen the Browns get to a Super Bowl and win. And you know that the Browns had their hearts steamrolled by the Denver, Bron- Denver Broncos three times in the 1980s, and they eventually lost all those Super Bowls uh, that that they were able to reach. But the Buffalo Bills, I hope that they can get to and win a Super Bowl with Josh Allen. What an incredible story and a likable bunch of men on that team in the 1990s. I mean... It's an incredible feat just to get to the Super Bowl. They got to the Super Bowl four straight years. Yes, they lost. One of them in extremely devastating fashion. Blown out in another game. Lost all four of them. But of all the organizations out there, I hope and I pray that the Buffalo Bills can get to the Super Bowl and win. Especially with Josh Allen leading the way. Uh, it would be a great story for the NFL. It would be great for the league to have the Buffalo Bills from the old AFL win a game. And really the only team to actually play its games in New York State is the Buffalo Bills. Being a New Yorker myself, a native native New Yorker uh, from the city of New York, it would be great to see the Buffalo Bills win the, uh, win the Super Bowl one day. Well, that's going to do it for now with regard to the NFL, the actual NFL games. Again, coming up in the next week or two, I'm going to delve into the nitty-gritty of the off-season of the fantasy football season. And starting with the calendar year that starts in March, leading up to the draft, the transactions, uh, how to go about roster formation, roster composition, and getting into all the details of what makes a great commissioner, and what what can be done year-round in fantasy football to enhance leagues and to sharpen and hone the skills year-round and not wait for the summer months to start delving into how to create a good team. A lot of times in fantasy, the the players will wait until the very last minute to 
do their mock drafts and do their prep for the for the uh, for the season. It it really starts now. If you really want to be great at it, if you really want to be super at this game, it, it, it's skills, and those skills have to be honed over time. And now is the time to reflect on the past season and go ahead toward next season. Because, like I said, what happened. This year is going to be a 180 to what's going to happen next year. You cannot rely on last year's results for the next calendar year. It may be a totally different league in terms of where players are playing, where coaches are. It's, it's incredible. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I think that there are a number of off-season issues and a number of off-season matters that I think are going to be very interesting to watch over the next couple of months. Among them, what I, what I think are, are big deals are really, if, if just a few, are uh, the Jim Harbaugh signing in, uh, in Los Angeles with the Chargers. Another one, uh, how, and how that's going to reflect on the entire roster, including Austin Eckler, who I think is actually going to stay with the Chargers. Where does another one is Kirk Cousins? Where does he wind up? Does he stay in Minnesota? Do they go about a different direction? And what about the Chicago Bears? Do they wind up trading Justin Fields? Do they wind up taking that number one pick or do they trade it? That's an intriguing matter. It's really interesting to see what's going to happen there. And of course, we have to see what happens with the Jets and Aaron Rodgers. And, and see what happens there. But there are so many things that are about to happen in football that are just completely unpredictable. And I can't wait to see what actually happens because it, it, it's a lot of fun. Football is great. It's a lot of fun. And I, I'm looking forward to the, to the next season and really, really delving into the details with everybody and, and going into fantasy and, and really exploring the details and the nitty gritty of the game and how everything is intertwined. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. I've had a blast with this podcast today, and I look forward to many more, and I look forward to your feedback as well. Again, my name is Vincent DePasquale of A Different Take Podcast. Enjoy your weekend and enjoy the holiday tomorrow.